1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. You're listening to the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast, where when you can't be in the outdoors, we bring it to you. Welcome back to another episode of the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast. If you're just joining us for the first time, my name is Walt. And zooming in from the other side of the state is my co-host, Chase Dude. You sit as we record this moments away. I mean, it's got to feel like moments because it's been years in the making. Moments away from going to the land of milk and honey. Yes, I am four days. Four days and I will be in the land of the milk and honey. Iowa, the Mecca, uh, as I like to call it. For a rut hunt, so I am super excited. A little, a little nervous, a little anxious too. Uh, just never, be, I've never been in the state of Iowa at all, so it's going to be new on multiple fronts. But I, uh, from talking to people that are trying to get intel and everything else, um, everything I get from them is is going to blow my mind. So I'm prepared to have my mind blown while I'm there. And if that happens, then that'll be just as successful uh, as a kill while I'm up there, to be honest with you. Yeah, well, so I did some some quick research, and it, it appears on the website that your tag is redeemable immediately for a Pope and Young Buck of your choice, but you have the opportunity to upgrade throughout the week to a Boone and Crockett. So I don't know what you're going to default to, but it uh, looks like you've got options. <laughs> yep, yep, options, options are there, so... Uh, if if it gets me excited and looks good, then I might be flinging an arrow its direction at any given time during the hunt. So we've got quite a few <laughs> days slated out, and we'll just we'll just see how it works out. So could be one of those deals where I'm in Iowa for ten minutes and have a buck on the ground, or it it may take me the entire time to to get on a deer while I'm there. So I'm looking forward to it, and I'm like I said, it's it's just a different caliber of deer. Um, I, it's going to be, you're used to seeing a lot of scrub bucks here in Florida and then every now and then a a good one kind of steps out and pretty much I'll probably be thinking they're all good ones (laughs) in in Iowa. So, uh, I'm looking forward to that and maybe seeing some like real rut action and getting a rattle and, uh, grunting at deer and, uh, seeing that all play out is I think going to be a good time slated for some pretty decent weather. Um, at least right now, it looks like it's going to be in the 40 low 40s in the morning and maybe get up to 60 during the day so not horrible for an old uh, florida boy who doesn't really like the cold anyways so (laughs) (laughs) well the good news is you're going to have all that brand new screen gear to keep you warm and cozy and watch this natural segue you ready chase if you want to save some money on the screen gear go to screegear.com and use the promo code Chasing Tales, T-A-L-E-S, all caps, or all lowercase, and save 15% on your next order. How about that? Oh, yeah. That was money. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, you know what? If we're going to do that, we have to thank the people that also have made this possible, our Patreon members. And if you don't know what Patreon is, it is a crowdfunding source for us to raise money to go towards the operating costs of this podcast such as chase going to iowa and if you're willing to support the show if you if you if you want to go that route we send you some free merch depending on what tier you're in we enter you into our quarterly giveaways uh which you know we give away you know depends on each quarter anywhere between two and four hundred dollars worth of stuff four times a year you're entered just for for being a, a patron of the show you get access to our marco polo chat group which is this um wonderful support group for the outdoorsmen. I mean, just motivation, helpful tips, people just, it's 
a great little community that we've built. And if you're interested in doing that, check out the show notes below. There's a link, chasingtails.com forward slash, I'm sorry, patreon.com forward slash chasing tails outdoors and uh, we'd be glad to have you over there you guys are definitely helping chase get out there you've helped us get camera gear and we we could not do it without you so i'm just i'm excited to to just continue to bring you guys content yeah yeah it's like you mentioned before it's it's good to be able to be in constant contact with a lot of our patrons uh, through our micro polo group and we get like live updates on their hunts and what's going on with them and uh, just going back and forth. And it, I think that's just like you mentioned, it, we've kind of built a good community on that group and uh, it keeps growing and we'd, we'd love to have uh, other people join that group. So yeah. now, now's a good time to check it out because that's our, right. our, our giveaway is you get some scree items, you get an Alps pack and we're throwing in some other goodies uh, for, right. this, for this quarter's giveaway. So what are you waiting on? <laughs> well, this week's episode is a, is a good one. You talk about a guy that found success immediately and uh, tagged out in, the, in a matter of moments. Um, he didn't expect to even during the hunt to, as it unfolded. It's an awesome story. Ethan, uh, from the stick boys, you guys may be familiar with them if you're, if you're big with traditional archery, but if you're not a couple guys out of Western, uh, North Carolina that, uh, pursue just about everything it looks like with, with longbows. And, uh, Ethan was a, was a great guest. I, I tell you, I said, after we hit end, I, I, I said, man, I think it felt like I was talking to a good old friend that entire phone call, you know, sometimes when you get on the phone with somebody you haven't talked to before, there's a, you know, you get to, you have to feel them out and everybody gets to know each other. Boy, we just, we took off running with it. Yeah. Yeah. Th- there was a good uh, connection there. And one of the things that he kind of mentioned during that podcast was uh, hot feed trees. And we kind of been talking about that <laughs> yeah. a little bit. So hopefully we're slowly building up to Walt finally getting Warren Womack on the show so he can uh, re- really teach us what a hot feed tree is. That's right. We're going to build this as a, as a playlist of hot feed trees. We'll, we'll make it a three-part series when we have <laughs> Warren. I, yeah, I couldn't believe it. When he mentioned hot feed trees, I was like, aha, validation. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, but well, let's keep this one short because it's a fun episode. I want to get these guys to it. How about it? Let's do it. All right. Ethan, dude, how you doing? I'm good, man. How are you doing? I'm 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 well. Before we hit uh, start, it sounded like you were having to deal with some inclement weather. What's going on? Uh just a little bit of rain passing through this area, so dealing with the, the rainy day blues today. Wishing <laughs> I was in a stand. If it wasn't raining, would you have gotten hot? Yeah. Oh man, this is the worst. my last week where I worked the normal. I work 7:30 to 4:30 every day, so this is the last week of the year before the whole daylight savings thing, where I can fit in a sit after work but <laughs> after this week it's weekends and occasional mornings when i can slip into work a little late yeah yeah it's i'm working remotely and uh, i live across the street from one of my primary hunting spots so i think i can still probably get in some like you know brief observation sits from afar but you're right this is kind of like the last time that uh Anybody who works a you know some kind of regular hours, they don't get to get out there and uh, enjoy those afternoon hunts, and that that's kind of always a depressing point for me because it kind of marks for a lot of at least it used to it used to mark uh, you know kind of like the halfway point for a lot of people's seasons as well. Absolutely, yeah. I think I think you deer hunters would be the first ones on board with doing away with the daylight savings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, maybe we should start a petition, Ethan. Uh. I'll be your first signature, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I, I mean, every year I'm with you. It's like it kind of dawns on you this time of year. Where it's like, gosh, deer season's kind of slipping away already. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So we, we've got a heck of a story um, to talk about today. I, I don't know that anybody has had uh, a better day in the woods than you, you managed to have uh, back in September at least, at least in recent memory, for sure. I mean, what what you accomplished was awesome. But we'll before we get to that, I want to kind of introduce you and 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 the platform that you have, uh, Ethan Henson. You you uh, you're one of the founders of the Stick Boys. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about who you are and the platform that you run? Yeah, man. Uh, so, Stick Boys number one thing is we are a few rednecks that love to have fun. Um, in college, this whole thing started with. Uh, just 
me and Dalton, Dalton's kind of the front runner of the stick boys, Dalton Lewis. He, uh, in college, you have a whole lot more free time before you become an adult <laughs> to spend time in a tree. So we weren't into the whole, you know, college scene. So if we had breaks between classes or mornings, evenings, anytime, we were we were hitting a tree or we were chasing turkeys. We were finding something to do. So it started out with just as a joke so we could look back and watch our videos we'd get our cell phones out when a deer came in and like just we'd be sitting in the same tree and we'd just film each other and that progressed into getting a little handy cam and getting a tree arm and um you know our friends would like to watch the videos and it just kept climbing a little bit and not really even meaning for anything to come of it and i remember dalton texting me one day he was walking on but here at appalachian state and there's a, a little bread company here it's called stick boy bread company and he's like dude i just saw a sticker he's like the stick boys he's like if anything was to ever come of this the stick boys it's like <laughs> hey i don't think anything's gonna come of it but cool that sounds awesome <laughs> and i mean this last year or two it's where we've we've been very blessed i mean we've been able to get some good deer down on film and i mean it's just it's done a whole lot more than we ever thought it would do. I mean, the the support and the, you know, the people reaching out to us has blown our mind. Cause like I said, we're a couple of rednecks that like to have fun. That We figured out how to shoot a stick bow pretty good. And we've had success the past few years and, and we just like to like to have fun doing it and just happen to have a camera with us. And we've had the podcast come along this year and that's doing really well. And, uh, I don't know, man. It's it's blowing our mind every single day. We we're super grateful for where this is heading and where we've already come from. I mean, for absolutely no ambitions of being any kind of influence on anybody to having a platform to push the traditional side of archery and you know the public land thing. It's we're just super blessed with it. That's awesome. So, can you clarify what a stick a stick bow is versus just you know, the, the terminology of, 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 of a trad bow? Uh, well, I mean, that's just kind of a general term I use. Um, me and Dalton both shoot Omega Longbows. It's uh, Kagan McCabe. He's out of Pennsylvania. He builds them. Great company. Uh, but we shoot Longbows. The uh, first traditional bow I had, I had an old bear recurve. But, I mean, we usually stick to the more traditional side of it. You know, we like the the wooden bows. Um I mean, I know some people like to shoot a metal riser and stuff like that, but we're we're stubborn and we just like shooting the uh, <laughs> just a plain old longbow. Um, and and those omegas are they're deadly. So I don't know if it's arrogance or stupidity or what it is, but we seem to just stick with the or just take off with these longbows and not put them back down. <laughs> why 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 the stick bow over compound? Have you have you hunted with a compound before or was it the... yeah so okay i killed my first deer with a bow it's probably in seventh or eighth grade i was shooting a little pse compound like everybody and their brother starts out with it's ever bow hunted and i mean i was beat up with it after that you know ended up shooting a matthews for a while and um my story's kind of backwards from a lot of people so many people i know dalton was in this boat and not trying to sound arrogant or anything like that, but he kind of got bored with the compound. Sure. Um, I don't, hunters are a weird breed. We always like a different challenge. And he started shooting one, and mine is completely opposite. I got so eat up with target panic. I couldn't – I mean, I could still kill a deer, but to be honest, I don't know how ethical I was in the woods at that point. You know, I mean, I could not rest my pen on a target, on a deer. It was like I had a hand grenade. <laughs> And so I was shooting with Dalton one day and he's like, man, why don't you just try a longbow? He's like, I mean, a lot of people snap shoot and are really successful with it. And you might be able to beat this target panic. I was like, heck, why not? So he found me that old bear recurve. I think he got it on trad gang or something like that for 75 bucks. And I was shooting some old aluminum arrows and a way too live brought a horrible, horrible arrow setup. had no idea what we were doing. And I remember the first year I went, uh took it or the first hunt i ever ever had it uh had a bachelor group of bucks come in 
and I never got it off the bow hanger. I just sat there and watched him like at 15 yards and said, there's no way I could hit him. I'm not even going to try. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, ended up, we had, like I said, it was, this was early college years. We, uh, we have a bow club and, uh, it's about 30 minutes from my house, about five from Dalton's and all winter one year, we just, every evening we go to that bow club, they have an indoor range and we'd shoot every single evening. And, from the first deer I killed, I think it was that next fall, I killed a deer with it. I haven't touched my compound since. I couldn't tell you where it's at right now. I just, the thrill, it, it brought back the, cause, I mean, I was getting down on myself with the bow hunting because, I mean, that target panic, I don't know if you've ever had it, but that's, that's Ooh, a beast to try to get rid of. Yep. <laughs> so, I mean, I was getting down on bow hunting, and from the time I killed that deer, I have not looked back as far as, hunting with a compound i have nothing against it more power to you i absolutely i mean when i was into it i was into it but i was losing my joy for bow hunting and that brought it back tenfold yeah right did your did your strategy have to change when you switched to the stick bow as opposed to the compound like absolutely um it went from i got to figure out how to get 20 to 30 yards from these deer to when i first started I needed to be about seven or eight yards from them. So it went, I mean, my entire idea of hunting completely changed. And I mean, it's, I feel like it's made me a much better hunter. Um, and I don't know if that's completely from shooting a longbow, but baiting's legal in North Carolina at one point in time. I mean, I lived and died by a corn pile and that changed dramatically because it's a, a deer's a different breed when it's in a corn pile and you're shouting a different kind of deer when they're in a corn pile. They're on high alert most of the time and it's a whole lot harder to get away with drawing a bow back at seven yards as opposed to 25 yards for a corn pile. So it got me away from baiting and I think all, all in all it made me a better hunter. It, it made me learn how to hunt the deer instead of letting the bait pile do the hunting for me. Yeah, that's interesting. I, you know, you talked about the the target panic and everything. I, I went through that. And our listeners know that story inside and out. But it was it was a very long process that Chase actually helped me work through. His patience in that regard was unreal. Um, but I can tell you that having recently uh, kind of been reintroduced into the the traditional lifestyle or stick bow, whatever you want to, what terminology you want, you have preference for. Shooting is just a little more enjoyable with the recurve. It doesn't feel like work. Whereas when you shoot the compound bow for me, and maybe you'll feel, maybe you feel similarly or differently, but when I shot the compound, it felt like a very very serious matter. I had to hit this point, hit this, do that, and you do a lot of the similar things with the recurve. But it just felt it feels more fluid and fun and quick when you're shooting a recurve. And I, I found. I find myself gravitating towards the recurve more and more because I'll go out about back with my wife and she'll be drinking a beverage and talking to me and I'll sling a couple of arrows down range and she can talk to me. Whereas whenever I shoot the compound, it's kind of like when Walter draws, everybody sits quiet for a second and then I shoot. Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, the whole experience was more enjoyable for me. Cause like you said, it's way more laid back. Um, you're not going to take a compound walking through the woods and stop shooting. That is true. (laughs) I mean, that, and I, I mean, I had a lot of target panic with, uh, with that recurve when I first started and Dalton helped me a whole lot with that. And like you said, I mean, we could stay in that bow shop and we would shoot, we shot thousands upon thousands of arrows that winter and you didn't even realize you were shooting. I mean, it was, we'd go kick our feet up, grab your bow, shoot a few arrows and, I mean, that's still a process. It's not something that you can pick up and, I mean, you might you might be able to pick it up and go kill a deer the next day, but it it took some time and people that are a whole lot smarter than me watching videos of them and getting advice from them, but the process was more enjoyable. It, was, it wasn't so structured and everything. Like you said, everything has to be perfect. You got to, you know, hit your, you know, your pen has to be perfect here, you, you know, all the new gadgets coming out i mean i'm i have no gadgets to worry about it's that's our number one joke is we throw our bows in the back seat when we're you know leave the woods and nine times out of ten they fall over right and I'll say, oh, 
slots are knocked off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's just a it's a way more laid back thing. It, it and everything is what you make it, I guess. Yeah. Do you feel like what's your what's your um, and I know this kind of changes with situations, but what's your your uh, furthest range will take a shot on 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 game with the with the stick bow? I don't know if I've ever killed a deer past twenty yards. To be honest, really? Um, yeah, I think right at twenty yards is probably where you know it's that's like a wheelhouse. You know, anything inside of twenty yards, I'm super confident. Um, anything outside of that, it's got to be absolutely perfect scenario. You know, I've got to be shooting good at the time because um, it's like anything. You'll go through phases where you're shooting really good and where you feel like you've never touched a bow before. Yeah. So, I mean, it's going to be the mindset I'm in. It's going to be what deer I'm shooting at. It's, I mean, the animal I'm shooting at. I, but anything outside of 20, it has to be perfect for me to even try. Sure. I just feel like I owe it to the animal to not shoot it in the hind end. So you're you're right. you're taking getting close to a whole new level. Yeah, I mean I have to. Yeah, I don't have a choice. <laughs> That's why we like hunting thickets and stuff like that. That takes it out the thirty yard shots out of the equation. Right. You can't see them, you can't shoot them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What kind of arrow setup are you running with that longbow? So we uh, just this year we started shooting the day six or uh, um, a day six setup. Just um, in the past. We started with aluminum, and like I said, it, we had a horrible error set up at the beginning. We had no idea what we were doing, didn't understand the whole FOC thing, and I don't know how y'all feel about that. I, I don't like uh, – <laughs> I think that, that term's overused way too much. <laughs> there's some truth to it. Um, you have some weight up front. That's that's going to help. So we're shooting – everything we shoot is almost identical. Like, Dalton's my arrow builder. I ain't going to lie, sit here and try to – make it sound like I'm a, a master at that. I order a dozen arrows and I lay them on his doorstep and he calls me fussing an hour later because he's got to fletch some arrows. But this past weekend, um, I just went in there and took some of his because we shoot identical stuff. We're shooting the 500s, uh, the 500 spine day sixes. Uh, we got a 100 grain outsert up front and we're shooting the 200 grain Evo XLs. So we're sitting about five sixty something in total arrow weight with over 300 up front and it has changed the ball game this year in the past we've shot just no extra weight up front as far as the outsert goes and we've shot three blades tried shooting different two blades but I mean, i'm i'm telling you what man you get that weight up there uh, I had to see it to believe it, but it was a long time before I, or since I'd blown through a deer with a longbow, and I haven't had an arrow slow up this year. I'm having to dig it out of the ground on the other side. That's awesome, man. That's uh, Chase. Chase and I have that debate a lot of times. Uh, we've got a couple friends who are like uh, they <laughs> they've built arrows that are just like what you described. In fact. I still think Nick has never found that one arrow he shot earlier. It just it just disappeared. It's just gone yeah. into, into the brush. Um, Chase kind of sits on the different end of the spectrum. I don't think you have like a quote-unquote heavy arrow build, do you, Chase? No, it wouldn't be considered heavy. Um, I probably will go a little bit heavier. Um, the FOC is not bad, um, but the, like as far as like the total arrow weight, um, it's still sitting slightly below 500 grains, um, which I think 500, you're kind of sniffing <laughs> heavy now. And a lot of it's pushing more 600. We even have guys that are shooting like 715 grains uh, right now out of their bows. Um, I, I'm not willing to go that far. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but it, they, they almost need to be there. But they're probably getting speeds like your recurve is yeah. with a 715 grain arrow. So maybe they should get, or maybe they should consider going to the stick as opposed to the compound <laughs> if they're going to shoot an arrow that heavy. Yeah, I mean, if you watch a lot of this stuff on YouTube, the the entire everybody's moving towards this back to a heavy arrow. I mean, it's I think the hunting industry went towards the speed, speed, speed world for a while, and I mean, you turn on the Outdoor Channel now, and you've got some of these guys that are shooting. A super big expandable head with a really light arrow 
mm-hmm. I mean, they're shooting 70 pounds and they're getting five inches of penetration. And right. I'm shooting a 40 pound longbow and having to dig the arrow out of the other side. <laughs> I mean, there's right. something to having that weight and having a cut on contact broadhead to where, I mean, oh, Ashby had it right many, many years ago. That's right. I think the, the hunting world's finally starting to hopefully get back to that because there's you'd be hard pressed to find too many people that don't have a rage horror story <laughs> not to bash like just them but gosh i don't know i don't <laughs> there's a whole lot of things to go wrong with that i guess is what i'm trying to say oh yeah yeah oh yeah i mean i've shot light stuff for years but uh and i was always kind of obsessed with speed mainly because if you found kind of that that 400 grain arrow setup, you weren't really having to compensate for arrow drop. I mean, anything out to 32, 33 yards, you could pretty much put one pin it and you were good to go. Um, and with Florida deer, uh, I never had a problem blowing through a Florida deer with an expandable 400 grain setup, but you're talking about deer that are a lot smaller. Uh, than your normal deer and i knew to stay away from the shoulder <laughs> so i would i would never get near the shoulder it'd always be like a kind of like a back double lung shot is what i would always focus on uh with that and you're not leaving yourself a lot of leeway if you mess up i think that's the whole key with some of these big heavy arrow setups is which kind of the ranch fairy talks about is your, your plan b arrows where not everything goes to plan. Deer can move, they drop, they do all kinds of things uh, in a shot that we really don't see unless you film your hunts because a lot of times you don't see that deer drop six inches or four inches or whatever unless you can go back and watch it in super slow motion. Um, So I think that's the whole key to these heavy arrow setups is uh, it gets a lot more stuff done than just your uh, expandable lightweight arrows do. Oh, yeah, I mean, it makes up for a whole lot of human error. I mean, yep. Dalton, Dalton shot a nine point. Uh, it's been about a month ago and deer was slightly quartering t- towards him. And I mean, he blew through the front shoulder and came out like right in the armpit of the other side. And that's um, uh, not many arrow setups can do that out of a 40 pound bow. God. But I mean, at the same time you talk about, I mean, it's hard to get away from or not get away from, but it's hard to ignore it because for so long, that's everything that was being pushed. I mean, you saw a bow commercial. That's the number one selling point is how fast is the bow. Right. And I mean, when you want to get down to it, how important is that really? I mean, as long as it's getting the arrow there, as long when the deer's still there, that's going to do the job. That's right. And I mean, you've still, you still get some of that stuff out there. Like I said, I'm not trying to bash people, but, I mean, you see these crossbow commercials where it says you can put an inch group at 100 yards. Well, that's awesome, but that deer ain't going to be there by the time that bolt gets to it. <laughs> so don't try it. No. <laughs> no. I, I, think, I think it's interesting how it's swung back and forth because my mentors grew up uh, when recurves were the standard. Long bows, stick bows, trad life was this was was the standard and then you know the generation right before me you know compounds became a thing but compounds were always clunky and there really wasn't much of an advantage because the let off wasn't anything near what it is today the speeds weren't anything near what it was today so it was one of those things where you kind of had that vying back and forth between well why go to a compound when the recurve works you know it has always served me well but late nineties, early two thousands, you know, parallel limbs start popping up and, 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 you know, new technologies start increasing that speed. And you're right, dude. I I was, I came about in that era of 400 feet per second. That was the ceiling. Well, first it started off with 300 and then, you know, we, we shattered that and suddenly people like uh, high, high Valley or high country archery was trying to, you know, with 5.6 grain arrows, trying to, to hit that ceiling of 400, feet per second um but it was new and exciting and you know it sold bows a lot of bows every year you know <laughs> absolutely and i mean it's there's no telling in 10 years what kind of bows are going to be on the market that's I right mean, from the time I, to tell you how long it's been since i was like shopping for compounds and stuff my compound is a massive reason i think those were popular in like 2008 
<laughs> so yeah. I couldn't tell you hardly what's on the market now, but every now and then, you know, you see commercials. What the heck even is that thing? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> the one thing that stayed constant is that old stick and string. There's still going to be a dummy out there that will shoot that thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I also think it's kind of, if you if you look at how much some of these new bows cost, you know, I haven't done it in a while. Chase just bought a new bow, but for as much as you spend on some of these things, man, there are some custom recurve and 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 stick bow and and, and longbow manufacturers out there that for the same money you've got something you might hand hand down to multiple generations. You know, I mean, Absolutely. like genuine works of art instead of just a you know black and green something. Yeah, I haven't uh, I haven't gotten to that financial comfort yet to yeah, me either but uh i can i can sure admire them that's right i, I know they're there we like, we like to stay with the uh the more simple bows but they're absolute killers <laughs> oh man that's awesome um so let's kind of talk about uh let's let's set the stage for uh the carnage that happened in late september this year um Kind of tell everybody a little bit about where you hunt, maybe that hunt or the surrounding area. What uh, what what were you keying in on? What's the habitat like? Kind of set the stage for everybody. Yeah, man. Um, so 90% of our hunting happens in the uh, mountains in North Carolina. We're right near Boone. So it's what we've grown up hunting. All, I'm not going to say that's all I know to hunt, but that's what I know to hunt better than anything else. Um, so super steep and depends on the time of year um early season about like anywhere i'm focusing on feed trees and um still when i killed those deer kind of still summer pattern and but number one key factor was finding the hot feed tree for the year and that could change from year to year um this year i had a whole lot more success on red oaks than white oaks the my spots it's kind of it's a hit or miss on who you're talking to. It's kind of a weird acorn crop around here. Um, I saw a lot of red oaks and not many white oaks dropping around here. Um, move on later in the season. It's about like anywhere you're hunting transitions. You're going to want to know, you're going to go or want to hunt where the bucks were going to be cruising and such. So I don't really have to worry about that this year because we only get two buck tags. So I took care of that pretty early, but uh, that time of year, I was 100% focused on feed trees. Um, I do put out mineral sites about midsummer and run cameras on them. So I did know both of those bucks were there, but they were never there at the same time. Um, and I was hunting over a screaming hot red oak. Uh, killed both of those deer under that, that tree that morning. Um I was hunting out of a uh, a permanent set, I guess you'd call it, um, just a hang-on stand. But I I was super lazy and didn't take it down from last year. Um, I had some bucks that were still coming to that mineral site on into the season. And so I'd hung that stand over that mineral site and uh, just so happened that the red oak behind it was the hottest tree on the property. Um, around here, it's you're not going to get big chunks of land. I mean, if you have a hundred acre track to hunt, then you've got a big place to hunt. You kind of got to work with what you've got when it comes to that. Um, You don't have that much play when it comes to diverse habitats and stuff like that. So, um, but even that piece of property, man, it's every year, it's a different tree that's hot. I just got lucky with it this year that happened to be right next to that, that set. So all I did was, move that stand around to the other side of the tree and I was hunting that tree. I think it was like at 12 yards, I think to the base of that tree. So it, this is, this is kind of funny to me because the last episode we just dropped, we talked about how I discovered what a hot feed tree looks like. Um, yeah, that's not something that maybe I had done it in the past, but I had never consciously found and recognized that I was on a hot feed tree. How long have you hunted, quote unquote hot feed trees uh several years probably well i had to start focusing on it once i got away from baiting right um if you want to kill an early season deer you could better be figuring out what they're eating um as in the past you know growing up early when i was early in my bow hunting 
career, I guess you'd say. Um, it wasn't, I didn't care. I didn't care what a deer was naturally eating because I was going to put it some food out there. So when I started shooting the stick bow, uh, like I said earlier, it's what I think that's what made me a better hunter is I had to start learning what the deer was going to do on its own. So keying in on stuff like that that I never paid attention to in the past. Um, never realized how valuable some leaves that were kind of moved around and a few piles of deer poop were, but that's the difference in being in them and not being in them for sure. So, so is that something you just stumbled on your own or did you have somebody kind of point that out to you? What, um, what, how do you, because the only person I've ever really heard talk about feed trees is Warren Womack. I'm sure you're familiar with, with that name. Um, yeah. but it's not, I'm, I don't mean to like despair. I'm sure somebody's going to cringe when I say this. It's not a super popular technique, right? Like right. there aren't entire YouTube channels dedicated to finding the hot feed tree. Like there are beast tactics and, you know, kayak access and stuff like that. Um, have you, have you noticed that, uh, the hot, any kind of pattern to what a hot feed tree looks like or, or species among that? I mean, if you're on, if you're under the right tree, you're going to see a lot of different animals in the woods there. Um, it's a deer's not the only thing that's going to be eating those acorns by any means. Right. Um, and as far as who pointed me in that direction, I, a lot of my hunting techniques, um, I hope he doesn't listen to this. No offense to y'all, but Dalton, I'm telling you, <laughs> he's taught me a whole lot, and I, I really hope he doesn't hear this. But uh, <laughs> I mean a lot i picked up a lot of things by just walking behind him in the woods and paying attention because he is he's a really good hunter and um i think he actually just he's he talked with uh war Womack just the other day but uh yeah he's uh he's the one that points that out that kind of stuff out and just over the years you, know, you kind of develop your own tactics with it and, um with that one it was just it was super obvious that that's where everything on that piece of property wanted to be. It wanted to be under that tree. Mm -hmm. And as far as the science part of it, I don't know. I don't know if it was a, like, there's a difference in the acorns or what the, why, but sometimes it can be, we make it a whole lot more difficult than it is. If you, <laughs> if you see that a deer, hey, a deer wants to be under that tree, go hunt that tree, man. <laughs> right. Like, I don't, I don't care what old Bobby thinks down the road. Say, well, he didn't he didn't have to do anything too special yeah well the deer were there so i went there no i was uh i was kind of relating that i mean because in florida if florida's a, basically a baiting state as well i mean you can put out feeders and food plots and all of those things and i just don't and i don't think a lot of especially your private land hunters focus on them hot feed trees really as much either when they can go throw out a corn pile or uh, they focus more on their um, feeders, and I know a lot of guys that like they they focus on acorns and things like that. But it's just that okay, there's acorns, the tree's dropping acorns, so I'm going to hunt that tree. And they're not really diving into what you mentioned, like is the the ground all ruffled up? Is there deer poop uh, in the area? Um, and then they'll put cameras on some of these trees and they're like, man, no deer are coming to this tree, but yet they'll still keep hunting on it just because it's dropping acorns. And I think the real thing is, is just for some reason, there is that feed tree out there that all, everything wants to go to. Maybe it's a comfort thing, or maybe it's just something within the soil that made those acorns taste better than others. Or I think I saw Catman or something. He did kind of a thing on acorns on YouTube about like worms and stuff can get in them and the deer don't really prefer those acorns. So it, it, I guess it could just be a, a total combination of all these things that make all of these animals kind of flock to this one tree. Um, the key is just getting out there and I think you've got to put boots on the ground and scouting to be able to find those trees and maybe be able to move uh, kind of like Warren Womack does is he'll find a hot feed tree and then it may last for a little bit, but then he's got to move on to the next one. Right. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that comes with as basic and I mean, people probably laugh when I say this is knowing what acorn or what kind of oak tree it is. Um, there's a lot of people who set up on an oak tree that, that that deer has zero desire to eat that. Like we have chestnut oaks around here and you can walk through knee deep chestnut acorns and a deer ain't going to touch that. 
And most of the time, if you find a white oak, it's going to be hot. Um, but like I said, white oaks were kind of sparse this year. So red oak's the next best thing. And, um, I mean, in years past, it's we, I've really walked past a lot of red oaks, but this year that seemed to be the the one that the deer wanted. And I've heard that from several people that if you could find a red oak that was dropping pretty hard, you were going to find the deer. Yeah. It, what, what type of red oak are you referring to? A, a live oak or? Uh, oh gosh, I have no idea. What we call them is a red oak. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. So your live oak chase is actually a white oak variety. Um, but oh, I th- thought it was a red oak. Mm-mm. No, it's 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 part of the white oak. It's part of the white oak family. If I'm, I could be mistaken, but I'm pretty certain it is because the conventional wisdom in Southeast Georgia, where I had stumbled, where is I, it's where I happened to be when I stumbled upon my first feed tree deal. Um, I was checking live oaks because I knew they were preferred. the The common wisdom over there was if you find a hot white of uh, a hot live oak, they'll prefer that live oak over you know like your your water oaks and stuff like that and i found hot live oaks and the ground was covered up in in acorns i was like man this is weird and then i found a small grove of water oaks and the ground was all scratched back ethan i mean just just completely scratched back tracks everywhere and that happened to be the hot food source despite you know 400 yards the other direction with adequate cover, there were there was this huge grove of 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 live oaks that was just raining acorns. It, it and that was like for me, it was kind of jarring because I had spent all this time hunting over what I thought was going to be the hot food, the hot ticket, and I was ignoring the fact that the animals were telling me what was the hot ticket. Absolutely, they they're going to show you um, exactly where they're hunting if you're looking for it, or not where they're hunting, where they're eating. They're going to show you exactly where they're at. That's right. Right. Yeah. Um, live oaks are red oaks. Are really, are they really? Yeah. We don't have live oaks around here, so oh, no okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> we have a ton of them down here, um, and you keep like I always just hear like the red oaks kind of have more. What is it? Tannic acid in them, right? And so it's just one of those over analyzing things. It's like maybe you don't have to listen to everything you hear if. The tree's hot. The tree's hot. It doesn't matter what acorn it is. Yeah, don't don't think too deep into it. If the animal's going to it, you go to it. Yeah. Right. No. Absolutely. Yeah. It was. It was. Uh, like I said, it was jarring when I, when I saw that because it flew in the face of everything that I had grown up listening. You know. Um, right. And I actually found that spot before before I found the others, and I, I told my buddy, I was like, Yeah, I don't, I don't see enough sign here. I don't know what the hell I was thinking. I wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've learned in the past few years that a lot of times uh, the stuff you hear growing up are from a lot of people that tell the biggest deer stories are the ones that have never killed a big deer. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, so let's break this hunt down. You you kind of mentioned you had some uh, some history with this area. You had both these deer. You knew both these deer were in the area, but they were never there by themselves. Uh, was there any kind of special conditions that led you to hunt hunt this location, or was this just a – I know there's good deer in the area, and there's a and there's a hot feed tree. I'm gonna swing for the fences. Yeah. Um, well, we actually had a, a pretty good cold front come through. It was a Saturday morning, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but we had a good cold front come through, and I mean, for that time of year, like we've had, I had somebody make fun of it because I, I made the comment on the video that it was it was kind of cold that morning, and I mean, when it was early September, I mean, it can still get up. I know y'all are still dealing with it, but around here, you know, it can still get up in the 80s and stuff. But I think that morning it was high 40s. So everybody was, I mean, if you had any sense, you were going to be in your best tree that morning. And so, like like you said, it was one of those swing for the fences. It's like, if it's going to happen early season, this would be the morning it's going to happen. And... So yeah, it was super great access to it. It's it's not eighty yards from the truck and can get in there completely without disturbing anything. So I mean, everything lined up perfect to where that was I mean, I was super confident going into that morning. Not that that was gonna happen, but I figured I'd at least get an opportunity at eight here. <laughs> That's not really something you go game planning for. <laughs> well, why don't you kinda of take it from there, kinda? Of- you know take take us for a trip how did, how did the hunt go i was 
a lot slower than I thought it was going to be. Um, I don't, I didn't see a single deer till nine o'clock, I think. And early September, a deer can be all over you before you know it's in the world. I mean, leaves aren't falling yet, so the woods are super quiet. And I just happened to glance up, and the the six point was the first one I shot, and he was standing just kind of skylighted on the ridge right above me. I was hunting 30 yards below the ridge top, and uh, he just he was he came in kind of cautious to begin with, but uh, he relaxed as soon as he got under that tree. And my gosh, I've got Dalton cut out. He does all the editing too. He's he does a lot of work. I'm kind of lazy, but uh, <laughs> he cut out probably. 15 minutes of footage that I had of that deer. I mean, I guess it was a little before eight he came in. I mean, before nine. Um, but that deer fed around forever. And I used to make fun of Dalton so much about that camera. I was like, that camera's going to cost you deer. I don't care. I said, I, I'll never let a deer walk because my camera's not. On it. Well, I'll be danged if I wasn't waiting on perfect shot where the camera was where the deer was in frame and all that. I was like, I can't believe I'm doing this. <laughs> but that deer walked around for, I mean, fed around for probably 20 minutes. And finally, me and the camera, we got on the same page. And uh, swing and a miss. The mountains of North Carolina, you got to shoot half the time on a mature buck. You better be shooting below that deer. And, I mean, I know that sounds goofy, but we're shooting a really heavy arrow and not exactly you know, a Raven crossbow. So <laughs> that air is going to take a little bit of time to get there. So you got to be shooting where the deer is going to be. And it was just in my head and it was dumb. I mean, the deer was super calm. He didn't know I was in the world and I was like bottom of the heart is where I was uh, looking at. It's where I was wanting to hit and I shot about two inches low and shot right under the deer. And I don't know if I was living right at that particular point in my life or what, but that deer, you know, I mean, you can see it on the video. He like takes one little step and he actually even reaches back and he smells my arrow. And I'm like, well, this is over. And the whole time you have the redneck at that point is coming out. You got, you got hunters and you got killers and that you got to have a killing mode at some point. That's when the kill mode came out that I've got to make this happen. So I start scrambling around get another arrow knocked and um had to kind of lean you can't really see it in the footage but i kind of had to lean out a little bit and uh that shot when i as soon as i let it go i mean it blew through the deer but he didn't really act like like a deer that's been double lung you know they're gonna tear out of there you, you know you're gonna hear him crash kind of thing and i knew i'd hit a little back but it didn't look horrible but just the way the deer acted, like he ran like 20 yards and then just walked off. And so I was, I mean, I was furious with myself and I was beating myself up in the tree. And I mean, I was, I was throwing a little temper tantrum to be honest, because I mean, I hate doing that to a deer. I was convinced at that point that I'd uh, shot him through the guts. And so I'm just sitting there mad at the world. Um, and actually I called my dad and I was going to let him know to keep his afternoon open because I was going to have to let that deer lay all day and go after him. And, um, he answered the phone and I said, I'll call you back. There's deer coming. And at this point, I'm like, I'm just like, I'm over it. I'm mad. And I was going to sit in the tree for a while just in case the deer went right over the edge of the ridge and bedded down or something. So I was going to stay there for a while. And some does started feeding in. And I kid you not, I had a doe at six yards and I had tension on the string. I was going to shoot a doe. And because this, this whole traditional game, there's a lot of head games get played with it, like any kind of hunting. I had to get my confidence back. So I was going to kill a doe. And so I have tension on the string, getting ready to draw back on her. And she looks up and you know the look they give when another deer's coming and she starts looking kind of towards the direction that other buck ran off to or walked off to and all I see is a rat coming over the hill I was like are you kidding me <laughs> <laughs> and um 
this year he never really even fed. Like he went and picked up one acre and, and he started walking down the fence line and you can't see it on the camera, but he, like I said, I must've been living right or something, but he stopped and at the only opening I have on that fence line. And my confidence came back real quick right there. It was, I put a great shot on him. You can't see it on, on film at all, but, um, shot him and he took off like they're supposed to. And, like I lost it, man. That's that's about the most tore up I've ever been in my life. Like I had to cut the camera off. Like I looked at the camera, I was like, "I'll talk to y'all in a minute," and like cut it off. And I was luckily he did cut that part out because I was about to shake out of that tree. Like I'm still shaking <laughs> bad on that on that footage, but dude, that's not half of what I did. I couldn't contain myself for a little while, and it was. It was bad. Like I had to sit in the tree for another 30 minutes and to where I felt comfortable climbing down. So finally get down and making all the phone calls. You know, I called Dalton and he's hunting some public land over in uh, the bordering county and call my dad and my brother-in-law and just, you know, rallying the troops, letting them know I got, I got some work for him. <laughs> and uh, it, I knew it was going to be a tough one because, like I said earlier, this place is surrounded by housing developments. So the second deer I shot, the bigger one, he ran towards one of those housing developments. And I was like, this ain't going to be good. And because it's a 50-50 shot, you know, you you knock on the wrong door and say, hey, can I drag this deer out of your yard on how that's going to go? And um, I'm walking out, going to the truck, and there's some kicked up leaves right near my truck. And I was like, there's no way. And I look, and there's a drop of blood in there. And I was like, gum right. So he cut back, uh, going more towards the middle of that property. And I just looked, like, peeked over the hill, and I could see a rack sticking up. And it's just a, it's a rule with our group. You don't go to your deer before everybody else is there. So knowing that deer's laying oh, there, man. I had to go get in my truck and drive off and wait another hour on everybody else to get there. So... <laughs> Who Everybody came up with that rule? House. Dalton? Uh, he, he thinks he's boss man or something. He thinks because he does all this work, he gets to call it shots. But he's like, I got to get the, he's like, I got to get this on film. He's like, don't you go to that deer without me. Like, we're not allowed to trail the deer. We're not allowed to do anything. You get down, you wait on, he has to wait on me, I have to wait on him. This is a team effort. <laughs> but uh, we get back to my house and we put the card and the computer and watched the shot over from the first one. It's like, well, that deer's dead. Um, it was a lot better. Why he acted the way he acted, I have no idea. But uh, went up there and got the first deer out and turned around and came right back. And or, I mean, the second deer, and uh, we went back to get the six point, and that deer didn't go 70 yards, maybe. Like, why he acted the way he acted, I have no idea. It went in probably liver and came out right behind the shoulder i have no idea why he acted the way he did but yeah i uh i basically started my season and wrapped it up in about a 15 minute span <laughs> so you found both of them without any any kind of trouble yeah it was the the second deer i shot didn't go 50 yards and that one that i thought i put a bad shot on and 80 yards tops wow that's awesome dude yeah, it was – I thought it was going to be a, a rodeo getting that first deer, just the way he acted, but I don't know. He was – he's just tough, I guess. I guess they all act different. Yeah, yeah. And I've seen – I mean, your setup, I've seen now where, like, if it just zips right through them, they really don't react. They, they just kind of walk off. Um, it's weird. Um, maybe uh, – did, did, does it make any – did it make a loud noise when it hit him or anything, or was it just like a zip? zip through him and you didn't really notice the first one just zipped through him and okay like i in the past you know shooting a lighter arrow if it if you were hitting in the rib cage it's not going to zip through him a lot with a traditional bow like you're going to get hung up on the back of the arrow and it's not going to bury up on the in the ground on the other side and this one the way it went through him that was the first year i'd shot with this setup i wasn't that's probably a lot of what it is, is i wasn't expecting the arrow to do that and so my mind went back to the other deer I've all the other deer I've shot and you know, if you get rib cage, you're gonna know 
just on the way the deer react or the arrow does. But this one, when it zipped through him like that, I guess my mind just immediately went to only time the arrow is going to do that is if you get through, go through just soft tissue and, you know, stomach matter. But that wasn't the case. It's just, it's a bad setup. Some heavy arrows. That's right. That's so good out there. <laughs> How, so you only get two buck tags there? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, so um, a week after that, Dalton filled his first one. So he's kind of been on – he's been taking it slow. But every weekend – well, three out of four weekends we've been to Ohio. So it's always been – we joke about it for years because we always go hunt the rut up there. We've joked about it for years. We need to spend a lot more time up there. Well, he was grinning bigger than I was when we found both those deer because he knew exactly where my mind shifted to right there. So, <laughs> I think we missed, yeah. the op- we missed the opener in Ohio, and we've missed one other week. But other than that, we've been we've been up there hunting every weekend. Okay. Are y'all hunting uh, private land up in Ohio as well, or public? no? We hunt we hunt public up there. Okay. Yeah. Let's. Uh, that's our go-to every year. Uh, last year we went to Kentucky a little bit. Uh, we tried it for a couple weekends. Uh, I killed deer opening day there last year. Feed tree. The feed trees work in Kentucky too. But uh, <laughs> I mean, it's it's been cool to getting to see that season progress. Um, you know, we kind of started out on the early season mode and getting to transition into hunting them more how a buck's supposed to act this time of year it's it's been cool going up there every year and we've had out of the three weekends we've been up there so far it's we've had a shooter buck in bow range between the two of us every weekend so we just ain't been able to put it together yet it's random little fluke things have gone wrong but um we've been knocking on the door up there yeah and it's just about to get as good as it's gonna get here in the next couple of weeks too absolutely we uh we're gonna have to start the the grind of daylight to dark i think we're gonna start <laughs> that this saturdays i got a, a place in my heart for halloween weekend that's that's one of my favorite weekends to be in the woods so i guess i'll be i'll be in there from daylight to dark on on saturday and sunday daggum right man yeah my the next weekend starts my first uh, like legit all day sits on a, on a quota hunt around here. You have to put in for, uh, like, you know, special opportunity hunts. All the good hunting property is, is kind of, you know, you put in for basically a lottery draw as a draw hunt. And, mm-hmm. uh, I've got one of those where, uh, right about this, about the seventh, eighth and ninth of November last year, we started having bucks fighting on camera. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> And how is that in Georgia? No, that's so that's there right here on the Panhandle. I'm in Tallahassee. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, does you, does uh, the rut come in later down there? Yeah, yeah. It's it's a weird thing. It's kind of like a a rainbow across the state of how how it comes in. Where I live on the eastern part of of the areas that I hunt, it's early November. That's only a couple properties, but. W- more centered uh for me is like mid early january to mid january and then as you get further you know, over towards pensacola you know you're stretching into mid-february wow yeah yeah the, now the flip side of that is we we don't know what cold weather is so you know <laughs> you're sweating all the time but uh you know you, you do get to kind of chase the rut across the state if, if you're because like chase your ruts now right or or been 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 uh, going yeah in in one of my areas yeah right it's 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 going on now um so y'all like watch the chase in november and just laugh at that y'all are chasing february <laughs> <laughs> we're chasing you could be chasing the entire uh hunting season in florida because down in south florida they're they're rutting in august so you could you could di- technically chase a rut from august through february in the state of florida that's right yeah and we get five buck tags. It's Australia. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's what I'm telling you. If you want to get into stick bow hunting, though, you go to Florida. We go hunt uh, our buddy Jim DeSize down in uh, Fort Pierce. And mm-hmm. that is a target-friendly environment. 
<laughs> you better bring a lot of arrows. <laughs> I mean, whether it's from you know killing pigs to like coons, squirrels, everything, anything and everything, you can kill in Florida. <laughs> oh yeah, that's about right. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's it's a neat place, man. I I dog on it a lot because it's really difficult hunting. But I think one day I will not be here, and I'll be thinking back to you know. I'll have one week to chase the rut and I'll be like, dead gum it. If I was in Florida still, I'd still have three weeks left, you know, but right. <laughs> it's all got to say. And we get five, five buck tags here too. So there's, you know, you can, you can have a, you know, a couple stellar mornings like you did and, uh, keep, keep running with the punches. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, st- we get the two buck tags and we get four doe tags here. They, they went through about a 10 or 15 year stretch where you could kill unlimited does. Uh, they started with four, and if you filled your four doe tags, you could go get more. And they got away from that, I think, a year before last. They went back to just two bucks and four does. But we have a super long gun season in North Carolina. It's going to come in. Our season opens the second Saturday of September and goes out New Year's Day. And I think it's a week or maybe two weeks before Thanksgiving black powder comes in and that's two weeks and then everything else from then on is uh rifle season and so we call it the orange army (laughs) and the orange army comes out in full force Mm -hmm. and i would give anything if they would put us like on the same scale as ohio or a state like that give us one buck tag and if you want to i mean give us several i'm all about killing those if you want like we'll kill several does but I really think we'd see the quality of deer improve if they would shorten the gun season and give us one buck tag. Now it would kind of put a damper on my my September this year, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the yeah. long run, I think it would be all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we all have like our our like perfect uh, what a perfect hunting season would look like <laughs> plans for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, Florida's you got politicians making those. Yeah, that's right. Florida's Florida's gun season. I mean, our black powders are where I'm at. It's already opened. It opened like October 24th, and then our general gun will open. I think around the 8th of November or 7th of November, and it runs through January 20th. So two and a half months. So almost three months of being able to use a gun of some sort for Florida. <laughs> that's, that's so that's a lot a of long. deer lives being lost right there <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah 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 well they they've tracked deer last year for florida which was like really the first time they were ever able to track how many deer were actually killed because we had the reporting system and i'm sure some people probably didn't report but for the most part i'm sure everybody kind of played their part and i was actually surprised at how low the number of it was of deer that were killed in florida last year i was blown i was way off like when i found out i i guessed first and i was i was more than double off of what of how many deer actually got taken in the state of florida i was oh yeah way less than i actually thought oh yeah way less because i always had this like i guess weird view of florida before I started going down there a lot that when you think of your big cities and vacationers and stuff like that, and Florida is not like that at all. Florida is eat up in country boys. (laughs) I I envision a world in where we're going to have to do a uh, introduction to stick bow hunting uh, episode with you during that time period when you're sitting there, and it's snowing out, and we're exhausted from gutting deer. We'll we'll pull you we'll pull you out of the out of the <laughs> the cabin. We'll we'll, we'll talk well, how to get into uh, trad trad archery. That sounds like a plan. <laughs> we won't I, be. I didn't really like the, I didn't really like that little jab about deer. But yeah, <laughs> well, it's not going to be my deer. It'll be Chase's deer. I don't kill anything. So <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> I don't care whose deer it is, as long as I can mess with it. That's right. That's right. I, that, that was the equivalent. What I just did there was like the equivalent of like uh, my my brother's really big. He's gonna beat you up because exactly. <laughs> yeah. I won't be in a gut pile. I just that, think it'll be my gut pile. Right. <laughs> right. Oh man. Well, I appreciate your time, man. We'll we'll for 
for sure I want to have you back on. I think we could we could break apart maybe some some arrow build uh, components to things. I do want to have someone come on and and talk traditional archery because that's something that does pique my interest. I know it's something that Chase has kind of asked questions about. I bet you he's as a as a diehard accomplished uh, compound hunter. I bet you he has some good questions as well. But uh, before we let you go, why don't you? give everybody a refresher where can they go and find everything that you guys uh put out there yeah man we got uh we got the youtube channel it's, it's the stick boys and a podcast that just launched this year uh you can find it on all the big platforms uh it's also the stick boys um instagram facebook uh, we're not too creative just everything just uh you can find us at the stick boys um absolutely love it send us messages reach out to us um we absolutely love getting those. So hopefully we can get a couple more videos uploaded for y'all pretty soon. And uh, I think they drop a podcast weekly. So, um, yeah, man, anywhere you look, anywhere on social media, you'll see our dumb mugs on there. <laughs> All right, man. I appreciate you, dude. Thank y'all. Yep. Thanks for coming on.